At BEI, we believe that the small and medium-sized business owners and the companies they run are the lifeblood of our economy. And our mission is to help as many of those business owners as possible exit their business when they want, with the money they need, choosing the successor that they'd like to see carry on their dream. We do that by supporting advisors to the business owner community, financial planners, attorneys, CPAs, wealth advisors, insurance advisors. Any advisor who works with the closely held business owner is somebody that we support and want to provide the tools and resources to allow them to be the quarterback of an exit planning team. Super. Well, guys, I can't tell you how much I appreciate taking time out of your afternoon. We have Jared Johnson. He's the CEO of BEI. We have Elizabeth Mower. She is the president of BEI. And we're at the world headquarters of BEI in Denver, Colorado. Thank you guys so much for taking time today. Hey, Bob, thanks for having us. And we're excited to share what BEI does and how we support the business owner community through their advisors and really support and help other entrepreneurs understand how we operate. And maybe they can learn a little bit from our successes and certainly some of our failures in running a small, medium-sized business. With that being said, I appreciate it. Tell me about your business and who you serve. Well, our business is generally focused on helping business owners benefit from their lives work. So we had to try and figure out a way to do that. And in the distant past, we were sort of helping one business owner at a time figure out what they wanted to do with the future of their business. But we quickly figured out that that was going to take a long time and we wouldn't be able to get to everybody. We thought it was important work to do. So we ended up realizing that we could have a much greater impact on the business community across North America if we just work with advisors who help those business owners in each community who are on the ground every day meeting with business owning clients and helping them figure out solutions to their problems and paths to their futures. What we decided to do is create tools and online resources that help advisory firms, CPAs, attorneys, business consultants and coaches, people like that, really accomplish and deliver and implement action plans for their business-owning clients. So we're really a behind-the-scenes tools provider. Yeah, and so it starts with us with education and making sure advisors truly understand what we believe is exit planning. And a lot of folks, business owners sometimes think, well, when I'm ready to sell, I'll call somebody. Or I'm never going to transfer this business. I'm going to die at my desk. This is who I am. And that's fantastic. But we need a plan for that as well. And even more, we see business owners out there who want to transfer to key employees, management staff, kids. But the challenge with that is none of those people have any money. So how do we help them accomplish their financial goals and objectives working with folks who don't have any money to buy them out? And that's what exit planning is. So again, with us, it's not about selling a business. It's not about a specific type of transfer. It is what does that business owner want to have happen post-ownership or maybe not even post-ownership, but post-working. They say, I want to own this business, but I don't want to work here anymore. I want to spend time with my grandkids. I want to travel the world. I want to spend time with my family. So how can they accomplish those unique goals and objectives with regard to their future? And what BEI does is, again, starts with training. We then have a marketing platform for advisors to get the word out, educate business owners on what we believe exit planning is. 
and then a software platform that helps advisors gather data and turn that data into actionable steps for business owners to accomplish those goals. I oftentimes wonder, you know, in the podcast, I talk to business owners all the time. Sure. You know, and, and typically the before or after. So, so what are you going to do when you get done here? Well, I, you know, maybe I'll sell. Cool. Uh, what are you going to sell for? Not sure. Do you have any idea what somebody else like you sell for? I don't think they're so busy in the business they have nominal amount of time to think about strategically being on the business. Mm-hmm. And I don't know for many of them if they really differentiated in their business whether they have a job or a business. Right. And so for you guys, you know, I think about trying to scale a business. You guys are trying to scale a process. Agreed. Yeah. For you guys, if you were looking back five years ago, what do you see the difference in where your business was five years ago and now as far as scale goes? Yeah. Well, you know, five years ago or 10 years ago, I've been with this company for 12 years. We were much more of a business to individual client. I mean this in a good way, sort of hand-holding relationship. Let us guide every customer through their use of our tools, their way of learning about our areas of expertise. And so we did a lot more sort of one-on-one company to customer because we just didn't have as many customers. Right? So when you don't have very many customers, you can afford to do that. Then our customer base starts to grow, and we realize, okay, if we don't scale our own services, we won't be able to keep up with all of these. these of course, 10 years ago was 08, 09. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, after the, whatever you want to call that, crash in the market, mm-hmm. there were a lot of delays on transactions. There right. were, and what we saw, what we were hearing from the field is that businesses that survived the Great Recession, so businesses that managed to somehow get through it, were saying things to their advisors like, I don't intend to ever do that again. Or, thank God I made it through, but I really made some mistakes. It's a wake-up call. I've decided to do things better. I've decided to be more thoughtful. I've decided to work on my business instead of so much in it. So the business that came out of the 08, 09, 10 difficulties and economic challenges were were admittedly the stronger of the businesses that went into it. And those owners learned their lessons. So there was really a lot of demand that came out of the very tail end of that recession for people going to their professional advisors, going to their most trusted advisors, business owners saying to them, you got to help me because I don't intend to, I don't intend to go through that again. And if something else does happen, I really need to be prepared. How are you going to help me? And BEI comes in behind that professional advisor or firm and says, we have the tools and the processes to help you do this. And then to get back to your earlier point, as that market grew and we had more demand for our services, then we had to say, okay, well, we can't sort of one-on-one help each one of the advisors and firms that's using our tools. We need to come up with more systematic processes. We need to change the way our staff is trained. We need to change the way our internal processes are working. We need to change the way we communicate with our marketplace. So we've done all of those kinds of things in the last 10 years. So you have the same problem as everybody else with the business. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting, right? So when I started in 2013 with BEI, you could Google exit planning and the top 10 results were how we were planning to exit the war in Iraq and pull troops back from Afghanistan. Today, you Google exit planning and the top three pages are advisors and support firms who are really looking at supporting business owners. And so five years ago, six years ago, when I started, we had kind of a one person to 25 or 30 clients from a relationship standpoint. And as that tide turned and we started working with enterprise organizations and larger groups and big companies, 
we said, it just doesn't make sense in the business world to have a one to 25 person ratio. So Elizabeth and her team and what we've done at BEI is really develop a support model that is systematized and help people to find their solutions on their own, whether it's our website, whether it's the articles and content that we create or the support center within our tools. The advisors today and the clients that we work with, we are training them to be more self-sufficient and act on their own, but access our tools and resources without having to pick up the phone and call us. And five years ago, if they needed something, the primary methodology of reaching out to us was, well, we better pick up the phone or send an email. And so through the implementations of systems and processes within our organization, our staff can touch instead of one to 20, we're closer to one to 200 people that they can reach out to and engage with. When you look out at your prototypical ideal advisor of whatever discipline, what does that ideal client look like? What do they have to say, do, behave like in order for them to really embrace what you guys do? I talk about this a lot in our training programs that you know their professional background is not especially critical to us. There are other areas of expertise not particularly important to us. We have an M&A transaction attorney sitting in a seat at our national conference next to a business coach who's sitting next to a 30-year CPA and so on and so forth. And so their professional backgrounds, while they are extremely diverse and they're really not that important to us and don't make any difference really in how they use our services, what I tell people is that they have one thing in common and there's a thread that connects everybody who uses our tools. And that is they are a professional service provider who has business owning clients and genuinely enjoys helping those people plan for a successful future. And those words are really important. You have to have business owning clients or be involved in the business marketplace. And then you have to actually like helping them plan for the future and solve problems. So two CPAs are sitting next to each other. Sounds like the beginning of a joke, but it's not. (laughs) Two CPAs walk into a bar. But two CPAs that you meet at a training or educational event. One of them is happiest when doing what they call compliance work. So getting data in, creating tax returns, doing audit work, sort of doing all of the more sort of not routine, predictable and unstructured aspects of CPA work. And the person sitting next to them is also a CPA, same length of time in practice, same firm maybe, but really gets the most enjoyment and fun in their day out of business owner clients coming into them, communicating or articulating a problem in some way, and then they sit together and they try to figure out a solution. Those people are perfect customers for BEI because our entire business model is bent on business owners who want to accomplish something in the future. We have no idea what that is, but we know we can help them do it. So exit planning to us, our website is exitplanning.com, but exit planning to us is exit is kind of diminished a little in its emphasis and planning is really big. So you put big, bold letters on planning and say, the exit is whatever it's going to be. The planning is going to determine whether that's successful or not. And if you think that sounds like fun, then Jared and I and our teams would like to talk about how we can work together. That's sort of how we do things in our training. Do you agree? I agree. And to your point, every business owner leaves their business. By death or by choice, we're all getting out. And so we know 
Elizabeth uses the each advisor who may do the exact same core work, but one gets really jazzed about what you might think a financial planner does. And another is really jazzed about, I don't know what this business owner is going to throw at me, but I know I can help them through it. And those are the folks that we really work well with and support because we know every business owner's exit is different, but the planning and the process that goes into it can be consistent and developed with each of those advisors walking down a consistent path. Is there a typical behavioral shift that you see in the advisors pre and post training with you guys? They tell us usually that things are different. It tends to be in their ability to get more proactive. So many of the advisors who we work with are highly skilled at solving those problems, creating those solutions for their clients when asked. And some of the tools and training that we provide help them get a little further ahead of that. They experience some kind of frustration. They're finding out too late in the game that their clients need help and they wish they would have known sooner. So we have some things that we do that we help them with, whether it's education or online tools or even things that are printed they can take to their meetings depending on on their personal style that allow them to really get further ahead and ask questions sooner and explain to their clients that every step that we go through together now is going to be towards a much bigger goal and a much more important end result. So I'd like to work with you. I'd like to walk with you on that path. And so that's the most common feedback that I hear from advisors. And you might hear something different. You work with a lot of our big corporate partners. Yeah. So from a behavioral shift, I actually, I'm in hundred percent agreement and alignment with you. It's interesting. The character of the advisor who works with us is that problem solver. They know that they have something to offer. The biggest challenge is they're hesitant to get into that work and style because they're not real sure where to go when they ask the question. And so what we see is more of a confidence shift. They say, oh, gosh, not only do I know what I'm going to do next, but I also know that if I ever stumble or if I ever get into a point where I'm not quite sure, I do have the support and the resources of a firm who's been doing this for a very long time. And on the corporate side, really it's more of, We're helping them do what small business owners and what we do here is create a consistent process and system. And for the entrepreneurs who are listening to this and thinking, how do I grow? How do I scale? Where do I go? The biggest piece is focusing on repeatable, consistent process. And I came from big banking. I was at Citibank for many years and they were always concerned with the client experience. And when you, in the small business owner space or the medium-sized business owner space, The experience that clients have are so important because every client is so valuable. When we take that into a larger organization that has multiple locations, maybe across many different states, and they're concerned with, well, if I implement this service or I bring in this new process, John may have a different experience than Sally and Mary may have a different experience than Paul because I'm not real certain that everybody on my team is in alignment and consistently asking the right questions. And so when we bring this into larger organizations, what they feel is a comfort in knowing that every client that walks in their door is going to have a wonderful experience with any advisor that supports them. Excellent. Looking at at the growth of your company, thoughts and influences with respect to leadership and how you take and pass that leadership ethos through the culture of your company. 
We've done a few things. We seem to sort of circle around. So while we provide strong tools and resources and training to our customers, we learn a lot from them as well. So we're a very collaborative organization with our customer base. And so I will say that over the 12 years that I have left the professional advisor arenas, that's where I was before, and turned my attention towards building things that serve the person that I once was, I've observed who's doing it well and who's doing something different and who's doing something with more success than others. And so my greatest influences have actually been our most successful customers. They're very open. They're very collaborative. We can talk about lots of different kinds of business issues, and they're very willing to share. So I'd love to say, you know, there was some business book that changed my life, and I do everything differently. But it's really the fact that I'm willing to tell our customers that we're not perfect. We're a continuous improvement organization, that we accept feedback, and even when it's hard to hear we're willing to grow from it, and they really take it. They really take that seriously. <laughs> so, you have to be, you have to be real be careful when you open that up. I got a lot of open <laughs> and honest feedback, but I have to say, they have been my greatest source of ideas and encouragement and inspiration. So I don't know. You might have a different answer. No, I think that's absolutely right with how we look at the services that we provide to our clients and. I had a mentor a long time ago who said, Jared, you're going to get as far as you want in life if you realize one thing. And I said, Angela, what's that? She said, as soon as you realize you don't know everything, you're going to get really, really far. So I took that to heart. And not only on our customer side, do we really look for feedback and say, what's working and what's not working? And I'm more interested in what's not working because we can shift it or shed it. I think that's another thing that I would tell business owners that are listening to this. You got to make a decision. If it's not working, just get rid of it. Move on. We focus. We had a conversation about that two hours ago. Two hours ago. I said, is this something like, are we going to keep doing this? Yeah, maybe we, shouldn't maybe we should just toss it. But within the business, and I think within our culture and our people, we take that same approach. Elizabeth and I right. like to ask our team, and we have a meeting every Friday. We talk about what we did this week and what worked and what didn't work. And we like to, listen, I have a sales staff that part of that is dialing the phone. That is not something that I'm fantastic. I can teach you the right words to say. I can teach you how to be more effective, but dialing the phone and dealing with voicemail a hundred times a day is not something that I like to do. I'm not strong at that. So I have to hire folks that do the things that I can't do, that I don't want to do, that frankly, I'm just not good at. And then I have to also, as a leader, be open to their feedback and saying, okay, if you're doing something well, how do we get that to everybody within the company? If we're teaching something or we're asking you to do something that's just ineffective, we don't want to hire people who are good soldiers. There are business owners out here who say, you got to do it the way I want. You got to do it the way I'm asking you to do it. To me, that's a mistake because you're going to get the same result that you've always gotten. So I like to have people who can challenge us on both the customer and the employee side and say, what if we did it like this? And as an owner and as a leader of the business, you have to be willing to say, yeah, let's try it out. Or, no, we've already tried that. We're going to have something different, right? You have to have those difficult conversations and they got to come both ways, right? My employees get to come in my office and say, Jared, I think you're not thinking about this the right way. And I can explain to them why I'm thinking about it that way or why I didn't see what they see and we'll work through it. I think that one comment where you were getting feedback from the business owners, I think about the unintended benefit of being tutored 
by business owners, many of them, mm-hmm. and their collective wisdom. Yeah. And it's been my experience within the podcast space to talk to many different business owners and how much it's changed the fabric of my thinking. Right. So a real benefit for the company. In looking at that, you guys are also working, innovating within the company, tools and processes. Right. Let's talk a little bit about how you guys take and innovate and create a culture that supports innovation. Well, we have two different parts of the company, so we can talk a little bit about each of those. Jared, as our CEO, is responsible for all of our sales and marketing activities and has essentially taken us from zero to full robust process in those areas. (laughs) And then my teams, as the president of the company and being responsible for operations, I'm really looking at efficiencies in the company and then building the tools and the resources. Essentially, I build the products that our customers buy. So we tend to divide things up that way. And as we're innovating, I think we're using different processes in those two kind of basic halves of the company. So there's the part of the company that's building stuff that our customers want to buy. And then there's the part of the company that's letting people know that it's available. So I can only speak for my side really in depth, but what we do is is sort of a combination of things. Try to hire really smart people. And those of us who are in leadership have some ideas about some things to do. So we're definitely contributing. We're not just sitting back and saying, I hope you all figure it out. Uh, and, and maybe that's how it's going in other companies. But we're too small for that. And we enjoy participating. So we're really involved in throwing out ideas, bouncing things off of people. Then we, of course, have our teams who have different kinds of expertise. And we're really hiring for people who know how to do things that we don't know how to do who enjoy doing those things, and we think that they have something to offer. We tell people, everybody who comes in for an interview at this company, say, you know, you don't have to know anything about our space, this thing, what exit planning for business owners. You don't have to know anything about that. We've never hired somebody, maybe since me, that knew anything about what that even meant. So our employees come in not knowing what it means, but they bring some skills. And we're saying, we'll teach you what exit planning for business owners is, We'll teach you how it's done. We'll teach you what we're already doing. What we need from you is we need you to take your personal expertise and your ideas and apply them to that training that we give you. So our employees are full of our ideas and our best employees are the ones who've brought us innovative suggestions. And then, I mean, I hate to go back to it, but we're really in a business that listens to our customers. So every year that I have been with this company, the percentage of innovation that I can trace back to an offhand comment, a complaint, an applause line, anything from our customers, that every year the work that we do grows coming from that source. So our customers are really, at this point, one of our greatest supplies of innovation. They call in and say, I'm using your tool to do this. Does it do this other thing? And then we have to say, Unfortunately, no, it doesn't. Here's another way to solve that problem. We can get you there. So we'll solve their issue or get them to the result that they're trying to get, but we're tracking that. So we're keeping, we're documenting those questions and we're saying, somebody called in and asked a question and the way that they want to do it isn't quite available in our current configuration. Is there a way we could do that? Days or weeks, sometimes it's two years later, we have features or new tools that allow them to do exactly that thing. So In our particular line of work, and I don't know what's happening with the other businesses 
and business owners that you're talking to, we get so many suggestions, ideas, and sometimes criticism from our customers. That provides a huge amount of creativity and opportunity for us. So I use that a lot on my side. Then we go out to, Jared, your teams, where they're doing traditional sales and marketing approaches. So you're hiring people who have background in that, but how are they taking things to the next level here? And how are they doing something that we've never done before? Where do those come from? It comes from the failures and it comes from the people who tell us no, the folks that we don't get in front of. Sometimes like our advisors, we find out too late that somebody that we really wanted to work with went in a different direction. And so we have to figure out why that is. We do intern programs. I will tell you, social media has been one of our biggest marketing avenues in the last three or four years. And I had a college intern from DU sit in my office in an interview one day and said, you know, Jared, Twitter is the Facebook of small business. And I said, you're out of your mind. You can't track it. There's no way to tell where revenue is coming from. Twitter is not in the business owner space. LinkedIn is barely getting there. Social media is just, it's something I... I'm a younger business owner by comparison, I think, with some, and I still challenged there. So (laughs) we don't always get it. So we bring in folks who are using the technology of the people that are in the space we want to be in. And we're constantly looking for new ways to have our message heard. And then also when clients, we oftentimes in the sales cycle get, hey, Jared, this is the problem that we have. How can your platform, how can your tools solve that problem? And many times I have to say, I don't know, but give me a minute and we'll figure it out. And then what we do is we get the teams together and whether it's our support side, our development side, or just some group from the sales side, or sometimes it's the marketing team, the sales team, the development team. And we say, okay, here's the problem we're trying to solve. Let's just think about how can we do that? What are you doing on the support side that gets close? What are you saying on the sales side that you're presenting to the teams that we're talking with that gets somewhere close? And then we're able to say, all right, let's think about a new idea or a different way to use a tool. Because oftentimes, as Elizabeth says, our tool may not do it in a straight line to what they think, oh, well, I want it to say these words and look like this. We say, well, it can say those words and look like that, but we're going to take a little circle here. And then we say, okay, how long will it take to close that gap? And it is, it's a lot of feedback from potential prospects. We go to different conferences as well to learn about what's working in the industry. Again, there aren't many companies that do what we do in our space. So we have to look at organizations that are similar to us. So we aren't just a software provider, but we have to look at what are SaaS companies doing? We aren't just a marketing content provider. Well, we have to look at what are those marketing content providers doing? How are they getting in front of folks? So I think one of the biggest sources of innovation for us is looking at not even so much peers in the space, but companies that are similar and are where we want to be, and then saying, how do we get there? And pulling our teams in and asking those questions and challenging. Elizabeth and I challenge each other all the time on, hey, Elizabeth, I was talking to this client. It's a really big deal. How long is it going to take you to figure it out? And sometimes she says, you're going to have to find another way. And sometimes she says, oh, yeah, that's going to be done next week. No problem, right? It depends. <laughs> the other thing that, about your team that I think supports the innovation in a way that's really important, it's not done as quite as much on my teams, 
but your teams take the time and allocate the resources to collect data that supports their analysis of what's going on, their opinions. This never works. Oh, does it never work? (laughs) Really? Never? And I think that as a company, we've decided to invest in the resources that are necessary to do data collection and data tracking and data analysis and to make decisions in the teams where that is the most helpful. We do it. So we're a lot less, especially compared to five years ago, night and day, completely different company than we were 10 years ago. We are making decisions based on facts and numbers and less on kind of knee jerk. One person did this. We should do that. So so we don't make decisions that way now. We're pretty thoughtful and where we can, there's data tracking to support it. So that's really helpful. I think on the innovation side, make an attempt, see how it goes, quantify the results, then tweak it, then track the results again. And that's something that's worked really well for us. Yeah, I would say the data tracking and analytics has been absolutely key in our innovation and growth because we all have what we think are great ideas. Um, Of course we do. Of course we do, right? They're ours. Um, And so we have to challenge ourselves to test and prove those ideas. And anecdotes are great when we're trying to get a laugh. They don't work so well when we're trying to run a business. And so having that anecdotal numbers or just some what we believe to be true is not an effective way to manage change and innovation in your business. Everything we do is based on a quantifiable difference that it will make either going forward or something that has happened in our business that has been changed for the positive side or the negative. And we have to say, we can say based on facts and data, not just gut feeling. And there's always gut feeling in business. I get it. You got to have that. But when we make big organizational changes, they're based on data. You know, given the tight labor supply, when you guys are looking, you've identified a skill gap within the company. Mm -hmm. And we got a tight labor supply, I guess, everywhere. We do. Yes, we do. So (laughs) what's the process to identify, we need a blue one, and we got to go hire a blue one to do this blue task. How do you guys arrive at that gap? And then within this labor supply issue, how do you take and attract that talent, get them to fit in with you guys in the culture that you have? Uh, maybe we need to watch one of your other podcasts where somebody has already solved that problem. <laughs> I was just curious. I, we don't have a great solution. We can talk about what we do. We do a variety of things, and we've tried a variety of things that have gone well and not well to different degrees. So for a while, we tried the assessment testing mm-hmm. of candidates. And we found that using that approach, we were able to accurately predict person's kind of personality. So the personality side of it was really good. And we were able to understand how our team members think, approach a problem, complete a task. So we were able to understand that better. We noticed after a couple of years, it wasn't increasing our employee retention. So while we understood them, didn't change how long they were with us, how much they grew within the company, and maybe that was something about us. So that method of assessing people on their way in the door or on their way into the interview has not solved our problems. It's very effective for helping you understand who you're talking to and who you're hiring. We've also used recruiting firms where they have to do the part that we don't like. This is just reading and talking. The candidates and the resumes and 
we're not especially good at that. So we've tried outsourcing the kind of screening process. And I have to say, it's expensive, but it's worked pretty well. It's worked reasonably well. We have some very long-term employees today who were found for us by a recruiter. So they either lured them away from another position or it was a person who just came on the market deciding to make a change. And this recruiting firm that we used kind of snapped them up and said, we have this great opportunity. And then we understand that our employees, we have to sell them on what it's like to work here. But I can point literally from my office, I can point at different people in different positions in the company and I can say, oh, you're interested in growth and we're still a small business. That person started answering the phones. That person started just making cold calls. That person started doing pure administrative work and now look at what they're doing today. So we have real examples of long-term employees who started at something that looked a lot more like an entry level and really demonstrated a skill and a commitment and an energy for what we do and were able to rise, maybe create their own next position title. One of the great benefits of having a small business is that you can make up a job for somebody (laughs) who has this great skill and that great skill, but not the other one. We'll create a new position for them so I can show actual humans in our business who are doing that right now today. And I think that's really proven to be very inspiring and encouraging to people who are considering working here. Employees don't want to be pigeonholed. They don't want to come to work at a small company where they're never going to have an opportunity to move up. So that's not the case in our business. And we're really trying to develop people. We have in the last few weeks moved somebody from one position to a different position in order to have that person spend more time on the things that she is really, really good at and maybe shed a couple of things that were creating some drag in the position. So that's a pretty broad answer. Everything from how do you find people to how do you evaluate them to how do you talk to them and how do you get them in and get them moving and have them be a positive part of the team. We have not solved the problem, but we're still working on it. Anything to add? Well, and I would just say, again, with the limited talent pool, the very first thing that we do is say, is there somebody in our organization who fits the skills that we're looking for, who may not be in the very right role, or who has a little bit of capacity to fill the blue job? Or are there three or four people that we can spread that work out to? Because in this limited market, you know, I will tell you, I think Denver's unemployment rate is under 1% or something like that. And the talent is challenging. So the reason we have had success with recruitment firms is that they have folks who are, they're currently employed and they can reach out to them and say, we're looking for something else. So I have found that one of my weaknesses is in hiring. I'm a sales guy by nature. If you can sit across the table from me and talk to me for 15 minutes, you're hired and I'll give you a shot. I do. I love everybody. But that gets me into trouble, right? So I would say there's fine, if you can find internal, find internal. If not, certainly avenues where folks you're looking from the currently employed is a great place for, at least that's where we've had the most success in the last four or five years. You guys have been working on branding your company and within that branding space and the value that you guys deliver to your market in your branding effort, what's done the most to affect the outcome or growth of this company? What do you do? I would say consistency, 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 consistency. You have to have the same message. We don't want to confuse the marketplace. 
So when we talk about what we do, it is supporting advisors who work with business owners. Broad strokes, that's where we're at. The second piece is we have to say it as much as we can, everywhere we can, as many times as we can. So we use multiple mediums of communication. We have a podcast that will be released in June. So we're just getting into the podcasting space as well. We're excited to do that. It will be for both advisors and owners. We have a big web presence. We spend a lot of time, my marketing department, working with Google Analytics and SEO and really understanding how are folks coming to our website? Where are they finding us? How can we broaden that audience? Social media, as I mentioned earlier, over the last three years has just really expanded our brand. When you can get in front of over a million people on the social media platforms, they may not be your customers, but they sure as heck know somebody who could be. And so that's been the other area for us is talking to people who know our customers, who know our potential clients. We spend a lot of time building content for business owners. By the way, we collect $0 a year from business owners other than the financial planner who owns his own business or her business, right? But our goal is to have those owners, to have those people who know the types of people that would be our client to say, gosh, I read this article the other day from BEI and I think you'd find some value in it. Or gosh, I listened to this podcast about exit planning and it came from this company called BEI and they work with you, Mr. Attorney. I need some of this help. Why don't you call them and see if they can help you help me? And so from us, first is be consistent. Tell people what you do very simply. We help advisors who help business owners. You know, for you guys, you guys have a lot of experience interfacing with business owners. It gives you a unique perspective on the entrepreneur's journey or entrepreneurship. So for the new CEO that's taking that job for the first time, What advice on entrepreneurship would you offer to that CEO? Well, I think that's such a great question. And one of the things I've always really loved about my career is I really have spent a lot of time with business owners and had the great honor of spending a lot of time with many who were very successful. These were privately held businesses all around the country that were doing all kinds of different interesting things. So I wasn't working with Fortune 100 businesses. I was working with very successful construction contractors, very successful companies that lay down pavement for highways, chemistry and chemical companies, software companies, service companies, all different kinds of things. The opportunity to have a successful business installing and servicing HVAC systems is enormous. And these are the businesses that are really driving lots of the work and employment and infrastructure that go into our economy. So they've been a lot of fun to work with. And what I've seen from the most successful business owners and what I've experienced being a business owner myself is that the willingness to identify a problem and then try to think creatively about solving it and trying to gather as many ideas from as many places as possible has really turned out to be extremely useful. So when I observe business owners who've had the most success, they're resilient. They sort of brush themselves off, pick themselves up, and just keep going. And they're interested in talking to other people, learning from lots of different sources, how to come up with an idea to solve a problem. So I've really tried to embrace a lot of that in my business ownership 
and the work that Jared and I do so that I can reap the benefits of it as well. So my advice, if I had any, to entrepreneurs and people who are earlier in their business life cycle than we are is to find as many of those resources as possible and to really think, be less black and white, sort of absorb ideas in their most abstract form so that you can take them apart and use pieces of them to solve your own problems. We implemented a solution in our company that came from some, I was doing some kind of an audio course on infectious diseases. I just got interested in it. It's a real thing. It's a, I'm worried about your, your time when you're not here. No, I just was curious about, you know, I just like to learn new things. And so I decided to do this course. And there was a particular part of the course that talked about how a particular organism is particularly successful. And if you were listening, you could see that, okay, there's a lesson there for the rest of us. And it had to do with how you essentially kind of infiltrate a target market that's been really difficult. They don't want to talk to me. They're closing the door to us. But we know that that's where we want to be. How do we get in the door? Okay. And reading about how a virus operates is not a bad way to think about getting in someplace that you're not wanted. That's where viral business came from. Exactly. Yeah, that's right. So it's not that, it's not that crazy <laughs> that I decided to learn about something that was not connected to the business and be open to it and think, maybe there's something in the natural world that will give me an idea that no one else besides Jared really even knows the history of this, but it's one of the ways that we try to innovate and that business owners, I think, who get the more they can get outside of their own silo or sort of focused attention are going to find ways to solve their problems that they never thought of. So that's, I guess, what I would tell entrepreneurs and business owners who are trying to do what we've had to do, which is find paths that have never been taken before. Yeah. And it's interesting. The way I think about it is a CEO, the entrepreneur who started their business and was in it from the ground up. And for so long, they were the business. They were doing the day-to-day. -day. They were the top salesperson. They held all the client relationships. They knew who all the vendors were. And now we're having to step away from being the business to now running the business. And Elizabeth and I say this all the time because we did. We came up through BEI. I was not hired as the CEO. Elizabeth was not hired as the president. And so we've held different roles within the organization. And when you step into that CEO role, that president role, we say it all the time. Our job is not to do our employees' job. Our job is to make decisions and deal with the consequences or have the responsibility of what those decisions led to. And so my advice to a CEO who's come up through the organization, I think many CEOs who get brought in from the outside, they know a lot of this stuff. They were hired to run it that way. But if you've come up through the organization, maybe you are the founder of the business and saw it from your dream to now it's your lifestyle, is to hire the people and put the energy into developing people to do the work that gets your business moving forward and to understand that your role is not to be the top salesperson. Your role is not to be the person in the trenches all the time anymore. Your role is to make decisions and deal with the responsibilities and the consequences of those decisions. And so that's why, to Elizabeth's point, learning from different avenues, learning from your people, taking a broader view versus being kind of head down in the business will allow you some perspective 
to make sure you're making those good decisions and to make sure that you're comfortable with the results that those decisions bring. Right. When you guys are out there talking to your, quote, ideal clients, what is the most common misconception about you guys from their perspective? We're an education company. Education company. (laughs) We have trained so many people over the last 20 years that the advisor community, which is our target market, is very aware of us. And they will talk to each other, oh, have you ever been to this? The BEI provides or that. So I think a lot of that comes from our longevity in the marketplace. And we kind of started with doing a lot of that work. So as we realized that our true value that we could bring our customers was in the things that come after the educational programs, we kept the education. And then we developed all these things that are much, much more valuable to our customers and have been really, really embraced by them. But those who heard of us a while ago, haven't seen us in a while, know our founder from 20 years ago, are very likely to say, oh, I've been to one of your programs or I've seen one of you give a talk somewhere. And so they think that we have information. But what we've done is we've taken all that information and knowledge and we've put it into tools so that they can have it with them everywhere that they go when they help their clients. So I agree. Yeah, it's one thing to know how to do something or to know about something. It's another thing entirely to be able to do it. And so that's where we started as an education company. You know, as Elizabeth mentioned in the beginning, we set out to help more business owners as we could. And that started by educating the marketplace and and helping advisors understand. And since then, we've now said, well, now we've taught you what to do. Now let's give you the tools to do it. And we've seen a lot of success in the recent years, but there are still, because we've been around for over 20 years at this point, and we do offer education, and there are other organizations that offer education. So sometimes folks are, they see something, something they're like, oh, exit planning education. And we're one of the top groups that comes up. There aren't a lot of people who are saying, oh, exit planning tools. Because I would say the second biggest misconception is that I'm already doing this work. And the truth of the matter is they're doing pieces of this work. And so what we have to help them see is what does it look like to offer the full package and to be able to have the tools to execute on being the quarterback of a team versus just being knowledgeable. You guys are busy, for sure. Always working. Always. <laughs> you know, with being busy in the day-to-day roles of what you guys do, president, CEO, and you guys have your separate duties and responsibilities and so on, what type of internal dialogue goes on between your ears to keep you leaning forward in the business when you come in? So I came up through my career. I started as a door-to-door book salesman. I was a big Zig Ziglar fan. I worked at a company called the Southwestern Company out of of Nashville. They hire college kids to go knock on doors and sell educational handbooks and study guides. And so Zig said in one of his books or speeches that you can have everything you want in life if you can help as many people as you want get what they want in life. And so that is my internal dialogue. When it's hard to get up in the morning, when I roll over and I look at my wife and I say, how am I going to do this again? I think about my people and I think about the business owners that we're supporting because the truth of the matter is, if I can help somebody get where they want to be, if I can help a business owner accomplish their goals and objectives, if I can help my entry-level staff person hit a target that they haven't hit and they've been striving for for three or four, five months sometimes, that is the motivation and drive that I have to see the the sense of accomplishment on their face, the achievement of a target, 
that's really what drives me. And so, again, I roll over and I look at my, how am I going to do this? It's, you know, five o'clock in the morning. I got to go to the gym first. Really? What am I going to do? I think about Aaron or I think about Doug or I think about Lisa that, that work here. And I say, if I don't show up today, how can I expect them to put in their effort? Mm-hmm. I agree with all of that. <laughs> and and I, I could probably add that one of the things that I use in order to get through the particularly challenging times is, you know, sort of, I guess it's a form of visualization where I try to connect the things that I'm doing or the things that are on my list for today or on my calendar for today. And I'm connecting those things to what I know we're going to be in the future. So I can see, I can see a connection. If I can't see it, I probably shouldn't be doing it. I can see connection between everything that's on my list or my schedule for today and where we're going to be in the future. I'm not interested in showing up here so that I can do the same thing I did yesterday. I don't think that sounds fun. I don't think it sounds rewarding at all. And my personality is not well suited to doing the same thing over and over again. So everything that we're doing is for a future purpose. And when uh, our staff people, people on my team are really struggling, I'm talking to them about the same thing. It's today is hard. This project is hard. We have a person right now who's been working for months on a particular project, and it's extremely difficult. And what I talk to him about is when those problems are solved and when that's done, let's think about how much further we are ahead and where we are with the business and your contribution to that. So yes, it's hard today. And today is if the sun's not out in Colorado. We're all a little bit whiny about it, <laughs> right? You know, cause the sun is out all the time here. So if it's cloudy, what are we going to do? But you got to think about the things that you're doing right now are contributing to something much, much bigger. And it's going to be a lot of fun when we get there. So that's what I'm telling myself every day when I'm tired. That's what she tells me to do. I'll walk into her office. She said, where are we going to be six months from yep. now because you did the thing you did today? Yep. And if I can't come up with an answer, oftentimes she's like, you probably shouldn't do that. Mm-hmm. Don't, just don't do it. Don't do it. Right? For folks that are looking for you guys on social media, how or where do they find you? So Facebook, BEI, Business Enterprise Institute. Uh, Twitter, it's at Business Enterprise Institute or at Jared, BEI. And we have at BEI Exit Planning. At BEI Exit Planning. We are on LinkedIn, the Business Enterprise Institute page. Mm -hmm. We also have the Exit Planning Forum, which Elizabeth and I are the co-founders of that forum. We have many advisors who are talking and having great conversations in that forum. And the name of your podcast? It doesn't have a name yet. Then podcast that shall go nameless. Yeah. <laughs> I knew you were going to ask that, Bob, and I, I, we are in. It's been uh, narrowed down, but it's, it's okay. actually, it's a secret. No, yes. it just hasn't been decided yet. Well, they'll find a link to it on your website. I they think. will. Absolutely. So, uh, our website's exitplanning.com. And that's the place where you can go to get to everything. You can get to our Facebook. You can get to our Twitter. You can subscribe to our blog. Uh, you can get information right there on the website. So all of our social media connections are going to link back to exitplanning.com. And that's where a lot of people start. And I would say whether you're a business owner or you're an advisor to business owners, go to exitplanning.com, sign up for the blog. We have content there for both business owners and advisors that's guiding them through questions to ask, not only to their business owner clients, but for business owners to ask themselves about their business. 
and suggestions on techniques and strategies that are going to help them prepare for a successful future. You know, to wrap it up, if you guys were going to offer some, you know, what you would consider your best advice or business intelligence to a small business owner that's getting ready or thinking about transitioning out of their business, what might that be? A couple, one or two things that maybe the business owner could say, I need to think about these things. First thing I would say is start about five years before you think you should start. Start early. <laughs> time, start time, early. Time. Yeah. Time is on your side and it makes a very big difference. Working with an advisor who's, as I said before, interested in helping you plan for the future is really critical. That being said, we get some questions from business owners saying, you know, I'm not ready to talk to my advisor yet. Uh, what should I do today? What we can tell business owners today that they can do themselves because they're very do-it-yourself oriented people, start trying to think through your goals for the future. What do you want your relationship to your business to be? What do you want your financial situation to be? What do you want your family situation to be? How do you want to be connected or break the connection with your employees? How do you want your reputation in your industry or your community to proceed into the future? So business owners are very capable when they get a moment or an hour or on vacation this year, really think about what do they want their future to look like and really to be very broad about that. Business owners are problem solvers by nature. I've noticed that they will try to solve their own problems and create their own plan for the future and maybe resist that temptation and just say, in an ideal world, what would my outcome be? What can my business do for me and what can I do for my employees, my customers, my community, my future? So think about your goals in the most broadest possible sense and then there will always be a way to accomplish those goals. I'm very confident. I've been involved in thousands of exit plans for thousands of business owners. No two of them have been the same. And a great many of them, I won't say all of them, a great many of them have achieved really, really impressive goals that were set forth by the business owners. It sounds like a good ending to a very good session. Elizabeth, Jared, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you taking the time. Well, Bob, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Been a pleasure. Thank you. Looking forward for your podcast to come out. Absolutely. Perfect. (laughs) Guys, thanks.